Hey guys, I'm Stephanie Wallace, and this is Independence Radio, a broadcast of Independence Care System. Independence Radio is a series of conversations with members of the ICS community about issues of health care and independent living for people with disabilities and older adults. My guest today is Anna Fay, ICS's Senior Vice President of Independent Living Services. Anna is a pioneer in the disability rights and independent living movements, and she shared with me how she has put this experience to work at ICS. Enjoy the conversation. Anna, what exactly do you do at ICS? What What is the Senior Vice President of uh, Independent Living? Good question. Um, so there are various programs, as you know, at ICS, and the program that I'm most uh, connected with is the Consumer Directed Personal Assistance Program, otherwise known as CDPASS. Um, and this is the option uh, for people with Medicaid in New York State um, to the licensed agency. It uh, is a program that allows people who, are, who have Medicaid and who qualify physically, that is, for uh, assistance hours, to recruit, hire, train their own workers. And it's also important, very important piece of it is that it's exempt from the Nurse Practice Act, which means that for folks who live in institutions, who require skilled care, or even don't live in institutions, are out in the community, but require skilled care that the licensed agencies require a registered nurse for, we are able to recruit and hire these folks and do our own training. Um, uh, it's not that this program doesn't require an RN for things like suctioning if you have a trach or um, even giving medication or injecting things like that. Um, so this is it's a big, big piece. And how, how would um, a member be, become a part of uh, CD Pass? Well, there are several ways actually. Somebody can come in already having lived in the community with CD Pass. Uh, and so they come on and enroll with ICS already set up in the program. So we don't really need to do anything. So that's one way, which is the, not very many people come in that way. Uh, we get referrals from from the community, from community-based organizations, and, and they choose CD Pass. Okay. Which means we then go through the process of making certain that they qualify which well, we first need the doctor's orders, and then we need an assessment by a nurse that essentially says, yes, this person is self-directing, and they're able to manage the program. Because it's a great program. It's a lot of flexibility, um, but also it's a lot of responsibility. Right. Okay, and, so just to be clear, this is another option in, in home care that we're talking about? In personal care. Personal yes, care. That's correct. Okay, so, so instead of uh, being assigned correct. an agency or uh, uh, just having them send you um, an aid, right. this is something that you're in a program and you are choosing, recruiting, right. and training your own right. personal care system. Absolutely. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah. Another important part of this program, I think, is that it was developed by people who use it. So back in back in the 70s, um, for example, in New York City, people who were coming out of Goldwater uh, Hospital, and, which was a chronic, in a chronic disease hospital, I think that, but that's, I think, what they were called, right? 
for long-term care. Uh, and they were coming out into the community with, with uh, skilled needs and a lot of needs. And so that what occurred was they got together and said, we really know how to direct our care. You know, we've had this disability for umpteen years, lived in, in an institution, and so got together and actually created the Consumer Directed Program, the CDPAS program. And so that's how the program started. So I think that we lose that um, a lot because we think it sort of came out, you know, popped out of the mm-hmm. Zeus, but it was a way, <laughs> it, it did really um, come from the community that uses it. So was that sometimes the difference between somebody being in a facility and being able to be home because of the uh, the, yes. the, the need for this the, and the cost of the skilled nurse? Yes. Oh, that's, yes. Wow. Yes. Just, you know, for everyone to know, Anna also has a disability. And um, could you explain your disability, how long you've had it, what, you know, yeah, the nature? Sure. Um, I had polio when I was seven. So I've had it just about my whole life. And um, it's a different experience from people who acquire disabilities as adults. Um, for example, I did not go to school because there was no mainstreaming. I went to school for, for one year. And when I uh, reported for the second grade, and I was told on day one that I had skipped to the third grade. So I came home all excited telling my mother, oh my God, you know, my, 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 I'm in the third grade now, I'm not in the second grade, right? And, um, but that was also a week later, I, I was in the hospital with polio, so I never really got to school. I had one year of school, period, until I got to college. Wow. So it, that was one of the probably, well, I say this, I say this a lot, but uh, one of the one of the things that I really feel the most impacted by was not having the experience of going to school, of having it, of learning with a peer group. Um, I had something that was called home instruction, and the Board of Education sent teachers out. And these teachers taught for maybe several hours a week, depending on their particular. Uh, the number of students that they were assigned, and um, but totally inadequate. I mean, you know, I in high school I got maybe five hours of school a week, a week, um, a, a week and I was supposed to learn everything that everybody else learns: history, right. English, you know, um, whatever, whatever, you know. And it was uh, so. Of course, I didn't learn all of that. And what ended up happening is that I, you know, I, um, we, I learned what my, what my teachers were most interested in. And so, fortunately, I happened to love science. My high school teacher loved science. And so we did very well together with science. But did not so good with history. No, okay. no, no. And at the end of, um, of the four years of high school, I took the Regents exams which, because I wanted a Regents diploma, and um, I failed. I failed a history Regents. Uh-huh. How I didn't fail every other region is I got only knows, uh, you know, because I didn't learn anything except um, a lot of science, which was Did you ace okay, the science? Did you ace the... Uh, yeah, actually, I did. Oh, okay. I did. I did. 
pretty well with that. When when did you decide that you wanted to go to college? Because I'm imagining back then it was not much of an expectation for You're people with disabilities right. to go to it college. Wasn't, it wasn't. Let me go back to answer that. My parents, and my mother in particular, would say to me, we're not always going to be here. I mean, she, she absolutely had a right to say that, and it was very important to say it, but it always threatened the hell out of me. You know, we're, we're not always going to be here, and you need to support yourself. You need to figure out how you're going to make it. They gave me music lessons, uh, thinking that I, the people would come to, could come to my home, and I would be able to teach music, right? Oh, okay. Which was fine. I love music, so, I, you know, I didn't like the idea, though, of being being at home all the time. This wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And so, as, you know, there, there were a couple of things that led to my deciding maybe I'll go to college. One of them, and the important one, was that I had a friend with a disability who went to New York City Community College, took, took this course that, you know, two-year uh, degree, that you got a two-year degree, that... Uh, that resulted in her being an assistant to a physician, both in either in an office setting or in a hospital setting. And I thought, I'll take that. That's you know, that sounds like something I can do. It wasn't it wasn't too threatening to me because it was something I was familiar with. And the hospital is where right. alien to me, God knows. And so I so I I I was good with that. And um so I think that's how I that's when I decided that I would keep music as fun, but this isn't, wasn't going to be my life. This was, this was you know, I, I was going to get out and do things and be, you know, and, and then that went along with driving and, you know, and independence. Mm-hmm. What, what was the world's attitude with people with disabilities? What was it like going out there? Because I, I, I can't imagine now. Now, you know, we go, we do, we fly, we go on cruises, we do whatever we want to do. Right. Um, what was it like back then, entering the world and people not really being ready for you? Stephanie, it's, I, I could sit here and tell you it was really, really hard. And in retrospect, when I think about it, it was, was hard. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't really see it that way when I was doing it. I was very fortunate in a way because, I, at least I think so, I, my mother, once again, um, made sure that I went to summer camp, a camp for kids with disabilities. And so I had a peer group, and that was important for me, very, very important. I had friends who were not disabled. Their experience was different from mine. So while they were friends and, and you know, and we hung out sort of, we always hung out in my house, um, because I couldn't get out of my house, but you know, but I did have, you know, friends who weren't disabled, but it was that was not the same thing, and so my friend, for example, my friend Marsha, which is how I got to college, you know, she was not that, um, she was two years older than I than I am, and so when I decided to go to college, she was somebody that. I learned from, like I learned how to, you know, that you can do this and what the school was like and all of that. And so I I ended up, you know, having 
the world was a little bit more, I had more choices because I knew what was out there than if I had not, my, if my mother had not sent me to camp and I did not know other kids with disabilities who were older, some younger. Um, and it just gave me a, a, a couple of layers of perspective that was important for me. So when I, I ended up you know, going out into the world, I didn't really feel alone or terribly different. Now, now once you got to Even college... I was the only one in, in college, mm-hmm. the only one in college that um, used a wheelchair. Oh, okay. Marcia, even Marsha did not use a wheelchair. So what was that like for you as far as uh, maneuvering to your classes and, you know, how... That was... I have a funny story. Okay. <laughs> Again, in retrospect. When I, the first day of school, I was hell-bent on going, using my braces and crutches. And my brace had um, a screw that kept coming loose at the knee, and, and I was I was concerned that it was going to buckle, and you know what would have happened if that happened. But I was still going to go to school, braces and crutches. All right. I mean, I spent six months working right. to figure right. out, you know, how to do this, so I was going to do it. And also, the school was not accessible, so there were issues about, you know, having to get up a, a huge step in the front and. Other the bathroom was not accessible. It, it used to be a factory. It was a factory building, building, and so the the structure was still a factory. Right. And so the bathrooms had, I swear, they must have been twelve inch twelve inch steps. Oh God! To get from the you know up to where the commodes were. Um, so I really didn't know what my options were other than the braces and crutches. So the first day, and I had my little brown bag. With a sandwich, an apple, and a screwdriver. Because my <laughs> braces were uh-huh. right because of the screw. Okay, fine. I was struggling on and off these chairs. I had, you know, the things that you don't think about. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't go to school, so the, right. the chairs had wheels. And I'm oh. not used to getting on and, and off. And you needed something to brace yourself. Wheels and, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this was... Um, but anyway, I was I was struggling, but I got through them. You get to the lunchroom, right? And I'm carrying my little bag. And I get to the door of the lunchroom, and the bag breaks. So I look at the bag, and my apple is rolling down <laughs> the floor. <laughs> and my well, my sandwich is there. And then there's this screwdriver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what? world am I doing with a screwdriver is what in your lunch I was mortified uh-huh. and I'm, I couldn't pick it up so some woman from s- student um, over quite a you know distance from where I was standing she must have seen this crazy person with a screwdriver on the floor she came over and she uh, just picked things up of the floor found my apple whatever asked me if I wanted to have lunch with her, which was, thank God, somebody asked me. And I did. And um, she never asked me. Oh. She never asked me what the screwdriver was about. She never I don't I think never. I would have asked somebody carrying the screwdriver <laughs> if you want to come sit with me. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, God. And I never really, we never, I mean, I used to see her around, mm-hmm. but we, we were not, I mean, the story doesn't go like we became, we became best friends, friends right, right, for the right, rest right. of our lives. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So needless to say, I did not go back to school using Ubers and crutches. I, I used the wheelchair. And um, what that meant is that I had to ask for help. Right. And, you know, that, that I didn't want to do that. They had finally a portable ramp that I could get into the school. It was a wooden portable ramp um, that I, okay, so I used that. And every time I had to go to the bathroom, I had to go to the nurse's office, and she would get me up the oh. the mountain to get to, to the oh, bathroom. Oh, wow. Until I got to know the students, and, and you know, and then they would help me. I, it was not easy, and, and I had transportation. What do you mean? I had, you know, a special like bus? The, the wonder, the regular transportation, you know, companies that... Everybody complains about now. Like, Guess like, what? Something like they a, were awful. Like, like ambulance, like an ambulance, like an ambulance, but mm. it was a car. Okay, you know, I, not an ambulance. Um, and I mean, I used to get picked up at seven thirty in the morning, no matter what time my class was. Oh, okay. it could be eleven, twelve, even. But you know, I we would drop off one by one, picked up and dropped off one by one by one. Okay, I would sit at the door at night waiting for this. My From driver school. to drive me. <laughs> so I was sitting, you know, in front of the, this door that is opening, closing, people coming and going. It's dead of winter. It's freezing. And, I, you know, so I've done this every night waiting for my transportation to pick me up, to take me home. And one night the president of the college, you know, got out of the elevator and, you know, he's kind of like looking at me and, and said, what are you doing here, dear? So I... I told him I was waiting for my transportation to pick me up to take me home. And he, he stopped for, you know, he listened and said nothing for a few seconds and then said, you know, why don't you use my office? It's a lot warmer up there. And I said, thank you. And he left. And, of course, I didn't want to miss my ride. My ride and I didn't do that. But, it, but it, that made me think about the fact that this was a little unusual for students to be sitting waiting in front of, in front of an open door that, you know, in the middle of winter. It must have, I'm imagining it, it must have looked pitiful. It probably to, did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's the last thing I wanted anybody to feel was right. pitiful. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, yes, yes, those things. And I guess, you know, I didn't feel pitiful. I, because, because it was unusual, what I felt was, again, and this isn't great either, but I felt grateful. I felt, well, boy, you know, the Office of Vocational Rehab is paying for my education and they're paying for the transportation to get me to and from school. You know, who am I to be, you know, worried? Picky. Yeah, complaining, even though I now have an ulcer, which, you know, at the age of under 20, Mm -hmm. uh, waiting for the, you know, but it it just was a very different, um, a different balance, a different perspective. Did you, at the time, did you, do you think the gratefulness came from knowing what your life could have been as as far as, um, you know, people with disabilities yes. being confined and restricted? And... Yeah, that's, that's really insightful question. Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I was, when I first got polio, I was actually hospitalized for over a year. I knew, you know, I knew children, you know, like who were my peers, whose family never visited them, mm-hmm. who didn't, you know, I mean, for all I know, they're still there I, as adults. I mean, I have no idea what ever happened to them. Wow. And, you know, so, yeah, I did feel 
uh, I did feel grateful for my family, always, mm-hmm. always, and that was a, that was that was really important. But more than that, even is that you're programmed to feel grateful. I mean, think about telethons, right? Mm-hmm. Think about, I mean, charity is all based on, you know, give to the less fortunate. So, so, you know, so there was that side of the coin, you know, the, the, the charity and the rest of it that I, you know, feel felt grateful for, right? And it's always, I mean, think about it. You get on an elevator, somebody's in your way. Excuse me, thank you, excuse me, thank you. I had a friend who... Um, uh, Phyllis, that we were very, very good friends all through the disability rights movement, and we met actually at, at, when we both got polio in the same year. But we would always go the, oh, it's a thank you, please day, please thank you, thank you, please, you know, it, and all the day long, you know, you're always doing, and and I'm so aware of this even now, you mm-hmm. know, and it's part of me, it's part of my DNA. I'm just grateful that I'm right. I'm moving through the world, you right. know. It's it's uh, So how did you get involved in a disability rights movement? Okay. I'm trying to remember what year it was, but let's say it was nineteen seventy three, all right. And it was a gasoline crisis in New York, gasoline shortage. And people were encouraged to use public transportation, which there was that was not possible for us. And so think there were exemptions like ambulances, uh, taxis, doctors, salesmen, basically, I think those were probably the four. And people with disabilities were suddenly, you know, not, we weren't able to go to services, you know, get, get services, go to doctor's appointments, go to school, go to work, go anywhere. And, and it went on for, for quite a while. So the organizations that existed at that time, uh, and I was part of one that was called the Architectural Barriers Committee, um, and we had met, and you know we we were um, like issues like curb cuts, which didn't exist. So all of the, the organizations that were around at that time kind of got together, and along with the ambulance drivers or the car, the transportation drivers, because they didn't, they weren't exempt either. And so we thought, what are you giving salesmen? You're giving, you know, doctors and we're, you know, and we're not. So there was this, there was, you know, there was a a lot of angry people. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, so we got together to make a, a long story short, it became a, it became a really large group of people. And we had meetings and we finally, because we were getting nowhere, wanting to talk to the governor to get the exemption, nobody was listening, and we decided to block 6th Avenue in order to get the governor's attention. Mm-hmm. That was the first time, and I got goosebumps, oh God, all those years ago I still get goosebumps. That was <laughs> the first time I remember being with a whole bunch of people. I mean, there were people there that... Um, I remember I, I, I used to go to this one hair, beauty parlor, right? And I was telling this my hairdresser that I was doing this, you know, demonstration. And he showed up, I, which I, I, I mean, I really, mm-hmm. he actually showed up. God, anyway, so there were lots and lots of people there and a lot of people with disabilities. And um, 
and we did. We definitely did stop traffic on 6th Avenue. Mm-hmm. We got a meeting with not the governor, but with his staff. Four of us went up there, five of us maybe, and said, look, this is not going to last. You've got to, you know, we want this exemption and we're going to do this until we get it. At least a meeting with the governor. So anyway, we ended up leaving there with a, a meeting with the governor in Albany. And that so that was the beginning of my disability rights activity. And I'll tell you one more story about that. Okay. Um, that that is important. Uh, New York City City Hall was not accessible. You know, we tried to make suggestions about how they could make it accessible, but they kept saying they can't make it accessible because it is a landmark building. Mm-hmm. So it's a landmark building, and they can't touch it. So how did we provide testimony? When we were, you know, when they were having hearings and things like that, they would set up a speaker and a TV in a separate location in another building. Mm-hmm. We would all be in that building, right? And we could hear what was going on at City Hall. I, that was, that really, really bothered me uh, and all of us. <laughs> and so one year, one year, one day, one night, whatever, they were hearing testimony about the New York City Office for People with Disabilities, which then was the Office for the Handicapped. Um, I believe that's what the name of it was. And um, here we are testifying for this Office for the Handicapped that we needed it in this other building. Building. Oh, wow. Um, You know, if if anybody needed an office, we can't even get into City Hall. Right. So, you know, hello, this is... But I remember getting up and testifying... And for the first time, actually feeling, it was like I took a step into another world, feeling part of a community, totally part of a community, and not outside of anything. And I remember saying we don't need, I remember part of the testimony, which was nobody needs to speak for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is an office that, you know, where we can speak for ourselves. Nobody knows what our needs are and what our yeah. And and that the whole that was heartfelt. It was really like that other, you know, taking that other step. So those were the, I guess, the two pivotal things for me, uh, and the disability rights movement. So what what was the most most important victory that uh, you make you've had throughout this uh, struggle fight? There were a couple of them. Um, in New York, before we got to the national coalition and federal legislation, but in, in New York there was that we you know got the exemption, by the way, for the, um, for the gasoline rationing. And we also became, and that took a demonstration as well, the, the addition to the New York State Human Rights Law. So we were able to get people with disabilities protected under that law, under the New York State law. Um, that was a big one as well, and that required also a, a demonstration and, and, you know, push, really pushing it. And for me and, and our group, and for that time, it was uh, the Rehabilitation Act of, of 1973, and that was Section 504 of that act, which really was... Was, is what the ADA was written to, almost to mirror. 
uh, it was the first civil rights act for people with disabilities in this in the country, and it protected uh, us from discrimination in any program that required federal assistance. So, let's take a hospital. A hospital is run on federal money, Medicare money, Medicaid money, whatever, and um, they couldn't discriminate anymore. Um, you know, people with disabilities or schools. It didn't protect us in restaurants or, you know, those kinds of things, but, but it was huge at, at the time. So this little, there were 13 words that was part of the Rehabilitation Act that was Section 504. Well, you can't implement, you, the law was there, but there was no regulations on how to implement this law. So it might just as well have been written, you know, with sandstones on some wall somewhere mm. because it didn't mean anything. Right. And we kept pushing for, you know, come on, let's get the regulations so we can use this law. Years went by. And in the interim, in, during this time, the American Coalition of Citizens with Disabilities was formed. And um, the first real serious demonstrations were held organized by ACCD around getting the regulations for Section 504. And so we, you know, we were meeting in different parts of the country. In California and New York, had the, the, the largest, um, as you would imagine, but California by far had the largest number of people and stayed out the longest. So what we ended up doing was sitting in, we sat in, at different different locations, in New York it was the um, the HEW. At that point, it was Health Education and Welfare. Now it's uh, it's different, <laughs> but at that time, the federal it government. Now? No, now oh. it's, it's federal is um, it's the Department of Education and the Department of Health are separate. Oh, okay. Back then, it was the same thing. Okay. It was HEW, Health Education and Welfare. And so all of those regions, there were 12 regions of, of HEW that were the, the sit-ins were. Um, we sat in at the New York regional office. So <laughs> we, and we were a very small contingent. I mean, there were hundreds in California. In New York, it was like you know, a handful of us. We started out with maybe 30 people. And when it came to actually staying overnight, through the next day, it was maybe six people, mm. you know. But we were there. We didn't let go. Um, but California, they ended up coming to, to Washington after days of this not happening. It was in uh, President Carter's, I think, right? President Carter's uh, whatever tenure. Anyway, we got the regulations, and that was really, really the first... This was, this was disability rights. Mm -hmm. We finally, were, we were protected uh, federally, all yeah. over, anywhere, you know, in, in um, programs, that, at least programs that required. So now, how, how did you come to work with ICS? Fast forward. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry. Put that one on <laughs> Can I go too fast? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see now. I was working at Mount Sinai as the administrator for the Department of Rehab Medicine. I attended a meeting at Sinai that was set up by my boss, who was the chairman of Rehab Medicine at Sinai, and somebody that Rick knew. And 
believed that this that this was a, you know a marriage made in heaven that we should get together ICS that wasn't even formed yet this is before ICS started and the rehab medicine at Sinai should get together there's synergy here somewhere so we got together and yeah there was synergy but not but not money and, <laughs> you know you don't go anywhere without money synergy is fine but so but it doesn't be it didn't go right so nothing really came of it but except that I now knew that there was this program uh, that was going to be one way or the other uh, and it was really fascinating I couldn't believe it what it really did was was bring together all of my experience with rehab medicine and the disability rights stuff over here because it's saying, you know, people with disabilities um, don't use services the same way that the regular out there mainstream population. We Our services are, are different. You know, we need different services. Um, and I thought, Jesus, this is really interesting because... ICS was kind of outside the walls of the hospital, and I'd always been, you know, inside, inside the walls, right, fighting right. for what was outside the walls, and so it was, it was really, you know, a very interesting concept for me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but nothing ever came of that meeting, but Marilyn called me, and um, and she, she said, I want you know, talk about ICS, and you know, I want you to come in, and I want you to meet some people, and Anyway, so I did. I met Rick. Rick asked me to be on the board. Um, and so I started out on the IC, ICS board of directors. I was there for about three years or something like that. And then I got a call. I got a call from Rick saying, how would you like to direct a program called, you know, it's the Consumer Directed Personal Assistance Program? And I said, now I'm working for an independent living center, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I said, well, I'm really working out of nowhere. This, this folk, Rick does that to people. He just walked by my office. See, so it's true. He does this to people. He just calls you. You know, it's like, um, but I, I was like in, involved in some things at the time. It was a little hard to, you know, to just say, sure, I'll be right there. Right. Um, so it took a while, but. Um, things didn't really work out where I was. And you know what? I wanted to work in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go back to Manhattan. It was a lot of it. So um, so I did. And I called him and said, I think I'm ready. If, you know, you still have this job. And um, and that was that. So that's how it started. Four, thir- about how many years ago? Four, 13 years? Yeah, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, when you mentioned um, you were working for independent living. Uh, independent living uh, at the time. What's the difference between independent living and disability uh, rights? Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's my difference, and you'll hear different people give you different uh, answers to that, I believe. But for me, the independent living movement actually came out of the disability rights movement. Independent living came about as a result of gaps of service. In, for people with disabilities and was modeled after in many ways after the women's movement uh, which came before it in that the notion was that if peers were running the programs that are there to support us it would they would have a 
a more uh, an authentic um, a, a response to the need, and not it, it was it came with nothing about us without us, you know, came from right, that. Right, right. So it's like we can we we know what we really need. So the independent living and the services were uh, community based services like home care, like you know, our equipment, like peer counseling, like, you know, stuff that, that um, people needed to stay in the community. Benefits. What are your benefits? How do you get your benefits? Uh, and that's the basis, really, of the independent living movement. It's gone all over the place since then. But but at that point, that's where, and it was, it was part of the legislation of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 was independent living when there was a focus at that point on people with what do they call profound disabilities or um, you know that rehabilitation vocational rehabilitation which was the money that supported people with disabilities federal money and state and local it was spent on people who were had the potential to work. And that would, if you didn't really have the potential for work or going to school, you really had a, there was no way for you to access these funds. Okay. So what the Rehab Act did was say, that's not good enough. You know, there are people out there that need support in order to even get to the point of, you know, being ready to work or go to school. And so that's where independent living came from getting people in the community ready to, to go to, to access funds for school and for work. Was this like BESIT type of thing? Yes, it's oh, exactly okay. what it was. So the money to do this came from Vogue Rehab. So at the same time that we were saying, Vogue Rehab, you haven't done your job, we were also saying, but give us money so we can do your job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's a little weird because it's kind of like co-opting a little, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, in a way, they um, it was clever because we there was a limit to what we could say, do. They were feeding us. Mm-hmm. They were giving us money. So the disability rights movement was separate. It was our movement. The mm-hmm. funding came from the organizations that were part of it. Okay. So we weren't... We weren't um, we didn't. We weren't beholden to any government oh, or or anything. I mean, we we worked. We worked with the money we had. Mm-hmm. With, with the some of them had some organizations had a lot of money, and some had very little money. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it didn't matter because there was a structure to accommodate all of those organizations. Anyway, they were. That, that's my difference. That's you may you might not get that from everybody. Now, what what is the difference that you see between back then and the way things were and now? What's the the progress that you've seen, and are you pleased with the progress? I love the progress. I mean, I I I, I yes, I love where where we've come from, uh, you know, and where we are. Am I pleased with it? Not totally. I, I guess I wanted. I want, I and I still do want more from young people, and I want there to be some fire in their bellies about making their lives better than um, than they seem to think they can. Do you think maybe they don't have the fire because they didn't have to 
fight and struggle the way that God, I hope not. you guys, you know, because I sometimes I think that fight and that struggle gives you that, that drive, you know, but if you come in afterwards and it's like everything has been Yeah, but Stephanie, done. you, I mean, you're an example of having come up when, you know, when a lot of the opportunity was different and was there, uh, but you saw a place for yourself and in, in what remains as the struggle for um, for, for equality, really. I mean, for for being a, a real part of this country and part of the society. And others, for whatever reason, and it's young people don't have that. I mean, I, it kills me when I, I got involved with a, a group of teenagers years ago with disabilities. And these kids were... You know, the, their goal was to get to be 18 so they could get their check. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, God, how, how do they, you know, what, what, how do you do, what do you do with that? How do, how do you say there's something better out there for you than that? What, what, what would you like to see from them? What would you like for them I would to? Like them, I would like to see some image of themselves. Like, like, I mean, I certainly had a picture in my mind of what I wanted my life to be. Um, it changed over time, sure. But it was never to stay in, at home. That was, an, and teach music, for example, right? I wanted to get out and I wanted to do more. I want that for them. I, I would like there to be, and the opportunities there now. Um, I would like there to be an image of, maybe I could do X, Y, Z, whatever. You know, one of the things that you spoke of was your mom, and that could have been the difference that you see. You you, you understand? Everybody doesn't. Do. Everybody doesn't have a mom like you had. You're right. Some people they have parents that who who ex, they, they see the child as disabled and right. and that's it. Yep. Did they have back then? Did they have social security for people with disabilities? No. So there was no was, SSI. There was no you know SSDI. Well, there may have been. You know, honestly, Stephanie, I'm not sure. Even okay. no, I know there wasn't, there wasn't the the uh, the benefits that there are now. So I mean, your mom had benefits, that worry of how Anna gonna uh, eat oh, exactly. once we're gone. How Absolutely. you know? So these, Absolutely. there was kinda, no Medicaid. Right. Period. So. I mean, that was that was. Uh, so that might be the difference that that you there see. There was no Medicaid. All right. Now, um, recently, you spoke at a public debate about assisted suicide. And what's what side were you on? Were you I against it or for it? I, I was opposed to it. To okay, and suicide. you want to talk about that and why you take that position? First of all, it's 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 a really hard um, position because actually disability rights has always been for choice. Choice has been at the at the core of really what what we want out of life is a choice that everybody else has. So this position and the majority of the um, of the community as opposed to it comes from a belief that what is described as reasons for getting assistance from physicians to take medication to end your life really is disability it's not the end of life it's disability and the 
and we say this um, because if you read the legislation or even some of the examples of the legislation, one can justifies using this option um, if we are burdens to our families, if we have um, no control over our bodily functions, um, things like that. So you're really describing people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And the concern is that if this becomes real, and it's becoming real in different places, um, that it's a slippery slope. And, you know, I don't want doctors making decisions for me. Uh, I don't want anybody making decisions for whether well, I wouldn't. Me. Wouldn't you have to be a part of that decision? Well, what if you weren't? And maybe you don't know what your options are. Maybe, maybe I don't know that there's a way for me to get help so that my family is not going to need to take care of me mm-hmm. when I need a lot of care. I don't know that. Um, doctors are the last people to know stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, they don't. They, that's not what they deal with. Right. Um, and it. So it's 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 um, it's very frightening, and it, it's it's a. Uh, so yes. So so basically, it's because what they're what they're talking about and what they're describing is disability, and that's not. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not a reason to off yourself. It's not, and they don't use suicide. I mean, no, it's all this this um, you know make it. You know, make it sound good. So it's aid in dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hello, it's suicide. Oh, right, they right, right. Use that word, you know, I mean, it's let, they make it sound cute and fashionable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's put it out there. I recently read an article about a woman who uh, who had a doctor assisted suicide. She had a big party for all the people you know that she knew, and then she went off too. somewhere. She and, went. And, and, yeah, she went. To I don't know if it was California or whatever, but I read that. And, and, and when, when you say something. the way they, you know, doing it, it, it sounded wonderful. You, you, oh, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, and, and it And, and, and there was a 14-year-old girl also who um, who wanted to end her life, so they had a big prom for her or whatever, and um, she ended her life. And someone asked me, because her mother was a part of the decision or whatever, mm-hmm. or approved the decision, and somebody had um, asked, well, how could her mother help her do that? And then I, I think of things like, like now, the reasons that you just gave, to me, that's just like, that, that, that shouldn't be in there. But when you think of other things like pain, and it's like... But, how, you know, you know. With, so, so for that, you know, I say, let's put money into palliative care, which is we need money to, to explore and get more uh, and better medications and just ways of making people more comfortable at the end of their lives or even before the end of their lives. So, I mean, palliative care is something we should be thinking about supporting. End-of-life care is, that's not care. They they call it care. It's not. I mean, that's, you know. You know what else I think of? When you said... um about the like being a burden on your family, right? One time I was going to the to the restroom and I fell, going into the bathroom. I fell one hand in the toilet, one hand in the in the litter box. Oh right? my god, that's what I. You did too. Yes. Oh my, my goodness. Head in the litter box. 
my cat said twice I fell. Oh, because of my cat. One time with my head in the And uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> and so all my children got up and, you know, mommy, are you okay? You okay? And my oldest son, you know, he's like, well, you know, let me help you up, mommy. And I was like, no, I'll do it myself, do it myself. And I'm trying to get up, but the cat litter had and my knees so you know that was like torture yes you know my son said mommy just put your arms around my neck and i'll pull you up and he got me up and i was so scared i was gonna pee on him you know what i mean so it's just like you know i was really and i'm crying you know whatever everybody left i'm using the bathroom and i just bust out start laughing because i realized i had one hand in the toilet one hand in the thing you (laughs) know (laughs) you know and my son's just sitting in my room waiting for me to come back and i get back and he said you know i expected a thank you but what were you crying for? And it all just came out. It's like, I don't want to be a burden on my family. I don't want to be a burden on my children. And there are times when, and when I'm feeling at my worst, when I feel like, okay, I could die now. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? And so when you mentioned that, right. you know, it's like tomorrow might be better. Right. You know, or right. next week might be better. Right. You know, and I think about the things that really mean something. Right. You know, once I give up my pride, you know, and yeah. it's like, okay, somebody's going to have to wipe my behind and change my diaper. Mm-hmm. You know, if I could get past that, I still have things that are joyful in my life. Exactly. You know, I have beautiful grandchildren. Right. I have intelligent children. You know, all right. these things. So it's like that, Yeah. you know, that is very a very slippery slope. Yes. You know. Yes. And Anna, thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoy I I could really sit here and talk to you forever. And and I wanna say thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you very you. much because thank you for what you're doing. I, I feel like great. you empower women like me, people like me. Well, you know, give me strength to give others strength. And you give yeah, and you, you know? empower me to empower you. So that's really <laughs> And you empower me to empower you to empower me. <laughs> and um yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was Anna Fay, Senior Vice President of Independent Living Services at ICS. You have been listening to Independence Radio, a broadcast of Independence Care Systems a community-based nonprofit agency serving the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens, and dedicated to supporting older adults and adults with physical disabilities and chronic conditions to live at home and participate fully in community life. To learn more, visit www.icsny.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephanie Wallace. You can catch my live talk show, Laid Love and Intimacy for the Disabled on Monday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on blogtalkradio.com slash laid. Bye-bye.